but I know that our district deserves this kind of leadership. If no one's leading, there's a firefight, I'm gonna step up and run to the fire. Like my duty demands it and my training as a Marine commands that I go towards the fight, right? Like this is what we do. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes, set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Well, welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you today, the Knucklehead Steven. So I've got a friend of mine, and it's not all the time that I get a chance to, to talk with my friends on the podcast, which is fun because they're out kind of doing their own thing. They're, they're living life. Not everybody records information for a living. You know, they, they take information in, they absorb it differently, they interpret differently. And I think that today's topic and today's guest is a fun conversation to have because my buddy Trace, who I met whenever we first moved to Rockwall, is running for Congress. And I'm proud of him for saying that. That's why I'm going to lead with it. But at the same time, I'm also proud of, of his story. About a year, year and a half ago, he was talking to me. I remember we were going to shoot, uh, like Clay shoot. Well, first of all, welcome to the show. How in the hell are you? Hey, Steven. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm doing, doing as well as can be expected. Now I'm doing great. Good. Life is always crazy. And for context, you also have kiddos, a couple twins. Yeah, we got uh, we got five kids, Amy and I. We got from 19 years old to 17 to seven to 20 month old twins. So we got the whole range. Uh, we have you got all flavors of ice cream there. My goodness, yeah, totally. All phases of life. So like starting college, starting driving, and then starting first grade, and then starting walking is kind of where we were, and in, and in diapers. So we got the whole the whole range. So yeah, our life is a, a little bit crazy. And it's not like you're you're not doing anything mentally stimulating throughout the day either. You've got deliverables, you've got deadlines, projects. Uh, you got a lot of people who rely on you to make good decisions. That's right. And so it's not lost on you. Uh, really, the, the weight and the decision to to run for Congress it's a big thing. But it's not like you didn't have anything going on before that. Yeah, we we stay pretty busy. That's for sure, right? You know, you mentioned my day job, which is with a company called Slalom Slalom Consulting. It's like slalom skiing, uh, best job I've ever had. I love slalom. I was looking for a great place to work when I found this place. You know, like a lot of former military guys, troop welfare is so common in the military. Like it's it's day one. It's 101 leadership. Like you take care of your troops. They, they take care of the mission. It's kind of basic. But what a lot of us find when you get in the civilian and business sector is that taking care of your people is not job number one. It's actually creating shareholder value or the almighty dollar. And that becomes disheartening for those of us who are used to working with a higher purpose when we think that that's what the whole civilian world is like. But it's not. The whole civilian world is not like that. You just got to look hard for them, I think is what I would say. Let's back up just a sec, because I think you're talking about the reasons why people do things, right? You're talking about aligning missions, people having more than one motive, and what I call the the competing number one priorities or the number one priority conundrum, right? That's, that's kind of the way I describe that, what you're talking about. Uh, and largely, I developed that thought process after hearing you and Matt and a few other thought leaders that I, you know, that I trust with their judgment. Uh, you had actually handed me a book at one point in time called Tribe. Tribe. It's right there. Sebastian Younger. Uh, yeah. Should be required reading for every military person transitioning out of the military. So I, I think that it's important to, to talk about why, right? And, and, and understanding that you got two pathways whenever you get out of the military. Let's just say you're able-bodied, 100% mentally capable, all your mental faculties are there, are there. You've got two pathways whenever you're in the military. You can either go down the victor or victim route. I think you do get revealed that perspective, 
prior to leaving, but you don't truly have an appreciation for it until after you're gone. Because yeah. a lot of your bare necessities, your basics, kind of your survivalist type of thinking gets taken away from you whenever you get out, right? That's you, right. No, nobody else is, is there to help orient your vision. That's so if you were a victim, then you're going to continue to perpetuate, probably go on steroids, how much of a victim you're going to become. And you don't realize that you're behaving that way because you're just trying to make sense of the world, so to speak. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think you did a, a very good job of articulating your journey and your process to kind of reveal to you where you are. And I remember appreciating the fact that you kind of leaned into it. And when you handed me the book, because you were like, hey, listen, I, you went to A&M. I'm gonna, I don't want to retell your story, but yeah. you went to A&M a few times and just Marine Corps and yeah. left with one degree. And, and it's not because you're a quitter. I like that. Share with people a little bit, because a lot of times they want to categorize folks, either being Marines or Maybe they're Aggies if they're here, here from Texas or they were an officer, if they're in the Marine Corps, if they're a uh, enlisted guy. So they, they develop these paradigms and these expectations around how you're yeah. supposed to act, but help people understand a little bit more about how some of the mistakes affected the way you thought about things whenever you were going through uh, the military and whenever you were decided to pursue your education and better yourself. Well, you know, you hit on a lot of stuff about my, my story because, you, you know, we're good friends. Yeah. But when you talk about the mistakes, the, the, you know, probably the good mistakes are, are learning experiences as they've been for me. And I've had a handful started before uh, the Marine Corps. Um, you know, I went straight from high school to Texas A&M. We're talking mid 90s. Right. The story was you can't get a job unless you have a four year degree. More on that <laughs> in, as far as Price's opinions on education in the year 2020. So I went down there and I joined the Corps of Cadets and I loved it. I had a fantastic time. I love the tradition and the culture at Texas A&M, uh, kind of like redheaded stepchildren in the state, perhaps. Uh, maybe I like being one of the few, something like that. I did a whole lot of Corps of Cadets stuff, and I drank a little bit of beer, and I barely studied or went to class. Um, but as it turns out, if your checks, or in this case, mom and dad's checks still cash at a state school, you can stay for a long time and dig a pretty deep hole, which I did successfully. I dug a very deep hole. After five semesters on scholastic probation, they finally asked me to to go drink beer at home. So there I was, a, a college dropout, which uh, I was definitely not proud about tucking my tail and heading back to, to Denton County, Texas. Just did you progress at all through the, I mean, did they allow you to go from freshman year to sophomore year? So did you yeah, I mean, I, technically I was a junior because I had a bunch of hours, but you know, the problem is I had like 89 attempted hours and a 1.68. So, oh wow. Uh, I mean, I, I probably managed to barely squeak into a sophomore year technically through passing what have you. But the bottom line was my to my overall cumulative GPA was so low. They're like, you got to go. And my, and my head wasn't in the studying, right? I wasn't mature enough. Yeah. I was about ready to ask that. Like what, so what was your, you weren't thinking about, you know, all right, listen, I'm going to be competitive. I'm going to, I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to sit at the front of class. I'm going to, I'm going to go to all the labs. No, I didn't do any of those things. So why did you go to school? Well, like, what was <laughs> because that's what you're supposed to do. You go to high school and you go straight to college. Yeah. And you know, my dad had a motto and this may have been true in the nineties. Sure. Definitely not true today. Two O and go Two O and go meaning just pass your classes and get that piece of paper and you'll be set. Which if there was some validity to that back then, which there was, that is pretty much gone now. Like anyone who gets a degree with a 2.0, and thinks they're going to get a great job out of college is probably kidding themselves. Like the ROI on a four-year degree has been in rapid decline for years. Okay. We teach these kids, we teach through our actions and through what our counselors tell them and through societally and even through the federal government and when, how we subsidize lending for four-year degrees. What we're showing them through all these actions, what we're saying and communicating through these actions is that a four-year degree is the way to go. And if you, you don't have a four-year degree, you know, you're, you're worthless, which I couldn't disagree with more. Like, 
Mike Rowe, you know, and I are like the dirty jobs guy, oh, yeah. right? I know exactly Super smart. I love everything he's about. Like I love all about the trades. I love that stuff because a four year degree is, is not the end all be all. And my mind wasn't in it and I didn't know it at the time and I didn't realize it. I didn't have the maturity. I didn't have the drive to do anything but have fun. And I did. I, I mean, I was in the Corps of Cadets, which is a lot of fun. It's, it's a, a, a pseudo military organization. In fact, the Texas A&M Corps of Cadets put more military officers into the service in World War II than all three academies combined. So long, rich history and tradition of military involvement. And I was more interested in that stuff than I was in going to class. And the newfound freedom and Dixie Chicken favorite bar in the world. Yeah, for, the, for those so. of you who are listening, what he's talking about here is he's talking about some of the characteristics that make College Station unique. I mean, the perspective of the love of the military, the perspective of uh, the love of the Corps. I mean, there there's a lot of folks who take pride and rightfully so in that time at AM. Both of my brothers played football at AM. I I would have loved to have played football there. I think it was great. I decided to go a little north of that uh, little town called Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. So the thought process, though, of those folks that, that come from College Station, once they leave, they always go back. It's almost as if they they have this common connection, especially whenever you're, it's viewed through the lens of the military. There's folks who ask you, I think it's a common phrase in the military where they said, did you go to A&M or you went somewhere else uh, if you're an officer? Right. So it's like you go through the, the college ranks and you kind of earn your stripes, so to speak. I don't imagine the the Corps of Cadets was really that much different. They have their traditions and and you kind of almost take pride in participating in those, whether it's hazing or not. The whole point of it is you share that common suffering in a way with those who you're running with. Have you ever asked yourself why you haven't started a podcast? Well, I already know the reason. So do you. You don't feel like you're tech savvy. You don't feel like you got your message wired tight. And quite frankly, it's just, it's all this mystification going on. Quite frankly, uh, our process helps to demystify that. We're push button for podcasts. We're knucklehead. Why knucklehead? Well, we lead with the fact that you don't know what you're doing. We do. We've been there. We've actually been in your shoes. We take your spoken voice. We literally give a human voice to your website. You want to bring dead leads to life? Well, then you need to talk to knucklehead. Essentially, what we're going to do is we're going to take you through our process and we're going to help take your human voice and increase the process for you going from dead leads to life. How do I, how do I do that? Well, you essentially just take your human voice, put it in a directory, and let people consume more of you. Give your audience the ability to Netflix on you. They wanna binge watch you, they wanna binge listen. Give them the ability to take your voice along on that commute with them. So you can get in touch with us, Steven at Knucklehead Podcasts, or if you got a really cool story, stories at Knucklehead Podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn and on Facebook at Knucklehead Promotions LLC, and get in touch with us. Don't be a beta about the process, don't let the fact that you don't know preventing you from getting some wins. So don't be a beta, get some wins and contact us today. See ya. That's exactly right. You're, you have a shared misery with, with your classmates and that this is one thing that military, and, and this goes back to before Sparta, like the shared misery and hard work creates cohesion and connectedness with, with a group of people. Like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty foundational and psychological. I don't know all of the the science behind it, but it's, it's a pretty clear cut thing. And that goes for boot camp. That goes for deployments and workups for those of us you know, ready to deploy when you're out there in the field for three weeks straight, dirty, you know, that's when you build those tight relationships when you're suffering together and you have, you could say you have a common enemy. I mean, the enemy is maybe, maybe it's the company guns. Uh, maybe it's the CO, maybe it's the training schedule. Maybe it's the bad guys or the uh, terrorists, but everyone's working towards the same thing. Maybe, Everyone's working towards a positive thing. That might be liberty. 
when you get back and get the weapons clean. That's the truth. You know, that's the truth. Well, I mean, so you're talking, you're touching about a couple of things. One, the shared experience of having struggled through the expectations of, of your parents. So going into being 18 years old and, and kind of shaping what that thought process was like and going and sharing all these experiences with people that can almost circumvent the whole reason why you're there to begin with, which is to go, you know, get an education and you got an education, you got an education on potentially what not to do, right? You got an education on, on maybe how to go through it with a, just a, maybe a more of appreciation the second and third time that you, that you went sure. through. I mean, I, I struggled in school too. So it's not a, it's not, I don't think it has anything. To, I honestly, folks who get 4.0s, God bless them. They're, they're amazing people. And they, they go on to write, you know, become PhDs and write incredible policy. Who knows? But yeah. my point is, is there's, I don't know of a whole lot of folks that run in circles that feel great about themselves after hanging out with a bunch of 4.0s because well, there's that standard perfection. You know I'll, what I mean? I'll tell you this. The number of stories I have about going to bed early and studying and going to class and acing a test at Texas A&M is zero. I have no stories about that. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's right. Okay. There's a reason my parents pulled the plug and I had to, to foot the bill the last semester because I was screwing up, right? I wasn't holding up my end of the deal, but, but I learned from that, right? You know, yeah, I failed out. I've got great, great friends still to this day that I was in the Corps of Cadets with down there at Texas A&M, you know, and, and then that enabled me. I, I came home and I worked construction and that afforded me three years of a decent living. And what kind of construction? I didn't know that. What, what kind of construction did you do? I've done construction my entire life. So when I was 14, uh, I'd always worked with my dad, you know, when we first moved to Texas in 1990, he was building a big shop and I've always, my dad's always worked with his hands. And he taught me to do the same thing. So I knew how to do construction. So I think the summer after my eighth grade year, my dad was like, you can work here at the house, you know, which looked a lot like all kinds of hard manual labor, like digging ditches for French drains all over an acre and a half property, which I, I did that when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12. And I broke a lot of shovel handles. He said, or, you know, work at the house or go get a job somewhere else. I'm like, dude, I'm 14. Like, how am I, what am I going to do? He's like, well, you can think about it. You're smart. You're smart. And somehow he probably engineered this, but my neighbor, Mr. Hansen, came by and was building a house down the street up on the hill and, and asked if I wanted to work. And I made, so I did. So I went to work that summer. I'm 14 years old, riding my bike with a tool belt and making 10 cents more than a minimum wage doing just random construction. I got to ask a question here because yeah. this is, this is interesting. And I think that there's a lot of people who have an appreciation for hard work. Maybe that's what's missing from folks' experiences uh, as they accrue experiences through life. And so let me ask the question this way. Being able to see something built when it when there was nothing there before and uh, a building is left after you know folks go there to work, seeing something built from start to finish, did you have an attraction to the way that that was constructed? Or did you have more of a, uh, an appreciation of just being told that you could do something and then you go do it and you actually see it being constructed. I think it's more of an appreciation. And I'll just give you a, a quick little anecdote to illustrate that yeah. when I drive back to my parents' house, uh, the second to the summer when I was 15, before I could drive, I, I worked on a different house and I had to ride my bike about a mile and a half down the road again with my tool belt. And, uh, you know, that I worked my, I worked really hard that summer. It was long days out in the sun, yeah. you know, in Texas heat. And, we worked on like a 6,000 square foot home with like two, three car garages, like a pretty fancy, fancy home. And I showed up on the job site 
like as they're framing. And I got to be there through drywall and everything. So for most of like two months, I worked on this house. To this day, I can go in and drive in that neighborhood and look at that house that I worked on in 1993 and be like, I helped build that thing. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. So it's, it's kind of, it's it kind of silly, I'm, you know, but it's not, I don't, I don't think it's silly. I, that's the reason why I was asking that question because you, you don't have an appreciation for it unless there was some type of shared suffering that you had with the, the folks that are around you, or you were able to see something start to finish and you played a role in whatever that was. Yeah. Whenever you, you had spoke on a panel uh, veterans day of last year, there was two questions that were asked. And so for, for those of you who are listening. That was with the Center for Brain Health out of UT Dallas. And they had a veterans panel, a Sip, Sips and Science. It was really cool. It is really cool. It was, uh, I think the Bank of Texas actually sponsored that entire event. So there's a lot of very, very deep pockets in terms of the bank. Of Te- I mean, you're talking about a, a bank organization for the state of Texas. You have a lot of, I mean, there's a university. Long story short is there was a few folks that were that spoke on that panel and you were one of them. And so there was a lot of donors that were in the room. There was a lot of people who with incredible experiences. And the first few questions they asked were, I remember, I remember one of them was, it was an older gentleman. He said, how is it that we can trust the decision-making of people who are responsible for making decisions, the way that policy is written and and the way that the, uh, essentially the government is to be ran when they haven't had the level of experience, they haven't gone through pain, they haven't screwed up, they haven't built something, so to speak, to have an appreciation of what it's for, making decisions that influence all of them. And he was an older gentleman. And I think it's akin to kind of what you're talking about now with having built that house. These people helped build the United States to what it is. So they're proud of it. I mean, we have our warts and all, there's no question. However, it's still something that they built. And so they have a pride in wanting to protect it and make it a better place for their kids and their grandkids. So I want I want to kind of pivot based off of that story that you just told to what would make somebody want to run for office to compete against other, you know, well-qualified individuals to go and be that person who's responsible for making those decisions. Well, I can tell you what motivates a lot of people. And I think a lot of us normal folk think that they're motivated by power or by title or by status. That's not me. So you mentioned before, I'm running for U S Congress in Texas, Congressional District 4, which is Northeast Texas. So from Dallas up to Sherman to the Red River, across the Red River, down Texarkana, and then back across 18 counties. Got a huge area. It's three hours to drive east to west across the entire district. Rockwall is in the southwesternmost corner of that district, which is where you and I live. So recently, our congressman, John Ratcliffe, yours and mine here in CD4, was nominated for the second time for director of national intelligence. And he was just sworn in yesterday. So it was confirmed last Thursday. For those of you who are listening, that may be a couple of weeks ago by the time this comes out. So it may seem like old information. We're just reacting. Yeah, old news. So apologies there. I was approached last year when this first came up and I kind of poo-pooed it. I kind of blew it off. Uh, and then I was approached again a few weeks ago from by people whom I trust a great deal. And I... I I believe and their motives are right. And they told me independently. So this is where it's, where it's key. They told me independently, I should consider running. And there's a parable that I don't remember when I learned it, it was probably 10 years ago that has stuck with me and, and it's informed a lot of my life choices and it's for the better. There was a flood and this good pious Christian man living in a house and the flood waters were rising up 
kind of like Katrina. And they issued the order to evacuate the city. And so they sent all these school buses around and they went to this guy's house and they stopped out front and said, hey man, come on out, get on the bus. The flood water's rising. The rain's not stopping. And he's like, nope, God's got me. God's got me. Y'all go ahead. Go save somebody else. But God's got me. So the rain keeps coming. The water keeps rising. And the next thing you know, you get those flat bottom boats that come by, rescue boats. He's stuck upstairs in the second story of his house now. And the boat says, hey, come on, man, hop on the boat. We're going to save you. The, the, the rain is not stopping. The water's going to keep rising. We don't want you to die. Like we've all evacuating. Come on, hop on. And the guy's like, nope, God's got me. Y'all go on and save someone else. God got me. Well, the rain keeps coming and the floodwaters keep rising. Next thing you know, he's sitting on the roof of his home and the floodwaters are almost to his feet. And a helicopter comes and drops a rope down. And the guy's like on the loudspeaker, hey, grab a hold of the rope, tie yourself on. We're going to get you out of here before the floodwaters wash you away. And the guy's like, no, God's got me. Go save somebody else. And the rain keeps coming and the floodwaters rise up and they sweep him away and he dies. And he shows up to heaven and he goes before God and he says, God, I thought you had me. And he goes, son, I gave you three chances. I don't know when I heard that story. But it hit me like a sledgehammer. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, and then there's, it, I'm not the best Christian in the world. OK, like we're all we all have our flaws. But, the, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. That's kind of the, that's it personified. Right. And so what that meant for me in my real life after I heard that was when I hear things from two different angles, that's the same message. I probably should listen to it. And I don't have to question it. I don't have to know why. And I don't have to try and be in control and say, no, no, no. And I found, not surprisingly, that when I do that and I listen for those signs and I follow it, even if it feels wrong or uncomfortable, it's usually uncomfortable. It doesn't feel wrong. It feels right. uncomfortable, right? Because it usually involves some kind of change. Yeah. I feel it. I mean, that. I don't think that when I listed on you know the week of 9-11, it wasn't necessarily that I heard it from two different sources. That was kind of like getting smacked upside the face. Uh, and that I, I knew there was no possible way I could live with myself if I didn't step up. And, and I quit my job and I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And I, it, my life has been forever better because of that. But there have been many other instances in my life when I've heard something. It's like, okay, you know, all right, now I get it. Now I'm listening. And this is one of those, another one of those occasions where when I, I stepped up to, um, I was asked to run for city council. In 2018, my wife and I were trying to have the last baby, which turned out to be, well, it turned out to be three, and then it turned out to be two healthy babies, thankfully. But we talked about it, and she's like, you know, we're going to have a baby or we're not. We have to keep living life, and we have to figure it out. My wife is way smarter and tougher than I am. So I, I said, okay, I'll you know, I'll run for city council, and I ran, and, and I won, and then I just recently got sworn in for my second term. But when I was approached by the people a couple of weeks ago and said, you should run for Congress, I was like, you guys don't understand. I'm not a politician, okay? I'm a government servant. I was like, what that means to me, a politician is in it to win it. They're in it for themselves. They're in it for the status. They want to they wanna please everyone and talk out of both sides of their mouth. You know, I don't do that, right? You know, I, I tell it like it is, and I explain from a position of truth exactly how I think about stuff. And as you know, it's typically data-driven. And then I say, look, you may not agree with what I'm saying. I was like, but at least you know exactly where I'm coming from. You know exactly what I, how I think about stuff. I was like, I'm not a politician. Like, I don't do those things. I don't have aspirations to be a career politician and get up to Washington and live on the Hill and make that a career and retire, you know, fat and wealthy and charge a, a crazy speaking fee. And the gentleman I was talking to, he's like, don't you get it? 
that's exactly why we want you up there. We need more people like you up there. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll think about it. And I, and I hung up the phone. Later on that night, I was talking to my wife. And I said, hey, I got approached yet again. That's, you know, about running for this spot. Uh, and I was kind of like, haha. And she's like, well, what did you, you say? I said, I told him I'd think about it. And she's like, well, did you? I was like, nah, not really. She's like, well, why not? I was like, well, babe, we have five kids, okay? Like, I'm trying to balance work with a company I love. I'm trying to be a really good husband. I'm trying to be a good father. And I'm trying to be a good government servant on city council. And then, of course, you know, you and I are in the American Legion together. And that's very active in the Chamber of Commerce and the Band of Brothers and the, the, all the things that we do in town because we all like to be involved. I'm trying to balance all these things. And this is like, this would change our life forever. Like, this does not align with me trying to be a good dad necessarily. And she's like, well, we'll figure it out. Like, we can get through it. And I was like, do we want to subject ourselves to that? And she's like, I don't know, but tell me, how long are you going to keep ignoring the signs? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. It sounds as if speaking directly to how people think doesn't doesn't exist in your house just with you. <laughs> you know, uh, for those of you who don't know, his wife, she doesn't mince words. So just put no, it to you my wife way. is pretty straightforward. And, you don't uh, have to guess what she's thinking. She's pretty strong, and you don't have to ever guess what she's thinking. Yeah. And I appreciate that about her. And we're a good pair. They, I mean, you, you, you're touching on a couple things, which is the story of kind of how you got asked and almost your decision-making process to how you, how you agreed to it. I think the perspective that I'd be interested in adding here is when it comes to pe- folks who don't agree with you, folks who don't maybe see things the same way that you do, you're not scared to have a conversation with them. Right. That's absolutely right. In fact, that's something that I, you know, we try to do that here on Assembly Council in our own little town of 45,000 in Rockwall, Texas. We try to have a dialogue, a conversation. Let's listen. Let's talk about and consider an idea. Just because I have a conversation about a subject does not mean I'm signing up for that thing. You know, whatever the subject is, we should be allowed to have a conversation. Unfortunately, we've noticed that we tend to dig into our camps and dig our heels in and not discuss issues. And I think that's lacking terribly, you know, and I think that we need to have more conversations like that. So if I have a conversation with someone with whom I disagree philosophically, that's, that's okay. And it's okay. We disagree. You know, I'm more interested in, can we learn from each other? Can I take what you're saying and apply it? Can I learn from it? You know, I don't, do I have to compromise my values? Absolutely not. Yeah. I was about ready to say that. It's not as if you're sacrificing any, ego or, you know, as a matter of fact, you're, you know, when you think about it from an integrity standpoint, the, the, the more pressure you put on a rubber band, there's, there is a certain point where it breaks. However, if it's just sitting there loosey goosey with no resistance whatsoever, it's useless, right? It really only serves its purpose until it's stretched and it can, can contain things. And so I think that ideas that get you out of your comfort zone or ideas or perspectives that you, you wouldn't have otherwise considered, there's merit to essentially just communicating together. There's a principle of the mastermind, which, you know, if you put two folks together, typically that third mind that happens as a result of them being together comes up with a better idea than either one of them independently of themselves. Yeah, totally. And so that, that thought process and given the responsibility that you have, how do you view somebody who's currently there, uh, there being in Congress, for instance, that makes decisions that you don't agree with? And that's now policy. How, How do you evaluate 
you know, what's the best way to either undo or challenge or provide them with a perspective? How would you go about going through that? Boy, that's a, that's a really meaty subject that would require a whole lot of unpacking. You know, I think that the, the altruistic and the go getter attitude is I'm going to go up there and I'm going to change, change the world, you know, yeah. um, the reality of it is right. I'm, I'm looking down the barrel of possibly being a freshman congressman, right? So let's not kid ourselves. What this probably looks like is I go up there um, all fired up and I quickly learn how little influence I have. You know why? A, I don't have the knowledge and experience, but B, I haven't created that trust or relationships with other people. No, right? so, I think it's clear, clarify what you were saying there. When you said the knowledge and experience you're talking about simply because you, you haven't served in U.S. Congress before. That's what I mean. Right. Okay. The perception you have the perception of you have whom the, to talk to. Yeah, you have the ability now, and you've taken it upon yourself to go and communicate with other freshman congressmen yes. that are now yep. in multiple terms. And you've already done that. You've already taken it upon yourself to go have conversations with those folks, correct? I have. I've been introduced to a couple of folks that I whom I respect a, a tremendous amount. And I told someone today. I was like, I'm such a sponge right now. I'm learning from everyone. I had a conversation with a person who is a, um, what's the best way to put this? They're, they're government relations in a private company. And I'm on the, I'm on the phone with this person. So he works in his industry. He interfaces with U S Congress and tries to inform them on what regulations should and shouldn't work and whatnot. And I, I'm such a sponge and I'm well aware that I know so little right now. And I'm on the phone or the zoom with this gentleman and his, um, his assistant and, and the three of us are talking and mostly it's myself and this gentleman talking and at the end. I asked the assistant, I was like, we've been talking a lot. I get the sense that you listen to a lot of these phone calls. I'm like, what do you think? And she said, well, I'm glad you asked. And she gave me a couple of really good nuggets. I'm like, yeah, I, I was like, I'm in, I'm in intake mode right now. I'm in learning mode. Right. So I am aware that I don't know everything. My job. Okay. Is to listen to congressional district for people and what they want. I need to listen to our folks here and figure out what they need and take that to Washington. My job is not to go talk at them and talk about myself and how great I am and tell them what they should believe or reinforce the Republican platform. That's not the job. The job is to listen to what the district needs and take that to Washington. And oh, by the way, speaking of listening, and I know this is something I'm well aware of the irony here. Sometimes I talk a lot, but I also know that like as a freshman congressman, my job is to do a lot of listening. And that's belongs to, and that goes for people across the aisle, right? In, in the Democrat party, you know, I should be listening to what their thoughts and perspective are, because I may disagree with a lot of their policy ideas, but you know what they have that I don't, they've got some experience I could learn from. There's a possibility. There's a, there's the, the ability to build some trust by me, like listening to them personally. And like, you know what, that Johansson, He's not that much of an idiot after all. He actually listened and considered my point of view and didn't try to insert his opinion and tell me why I was wrong. You know, so my job is to listen to my people in Congressional District 4 in Northeast Texas and to go up and listen to the seasoned individuals in Congress and listen to my peers across the aisle and just and just take it all in and, and synthesize that. That's my well, that's my job. I think I think it's important to to remember that we're you know, this is knucklehead podcast. This is, this is what did you just screw up to get to where you are? Oh yeah. Um, podcast. And so I think given that where you're starting from is you want to learn, 
there's the assumption that there's more information out there than, you know, than what you have available to you now. And so you have to go find it. You have to go talk to folks who have their own perspective on things. Let's transfer, let's juxtapose or contrast maybe that perspective with uh, a period of time where you were faced with something similar where you decide you maybe made the mistake of thinking that you had the answer when in fact you didn't. Can you think of a time where my, my sergeant said to go left and I went right thinking I had the right answer and it didn't work out too well for me? Or maybe an example in, in city council where, you know, you maybe you wish you would have made a decision a little bit differently looking back on it now. Or and I can think of about 15 examples of, of mistakes I made with my wife. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just didn't take the trash out that day or something right. something along those lines. So I work in the world of consulting, as you know, you know, like business strategy, technology consulting. And what does that mean? It means I have a job a lot like Chandler Bing from Friends and Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother. And what I mean by that is nobody knows what Trace does for a living. Okay. If you ask my wife from the outside, it looks like I talk on the phone and buy drinks for clients, which factually is true, but there's context there that's not really well aware. My job is to kind of listen to clients and what they're trying to accomplish, grab our experience in other areas where we have done stuff and that's similar and bring that experience and help the client get to where they're trying to go, solve a problem. Maybe it's like, hey, we merge with this company. How do we take our the best parts of our culture and the best parts of their culture and marry them up? Um, hey, we merge with this company or hey, we're gonna close this data center because it's costing us a lot of CapEx, capital expenditure. Um, we want to switch to more of an OpEx model. Can you help us refactor our applications to be cloud first so we can uh, move to the cloud? Uh, these are all business decisions. So here's what, I don't want to say where we make mistakes. Here's where Trace has made mistakes before. I have made the mistake knowing full well, logically, my brain that 80% of communication is not, at least 80% of communication is nonverbal. Like you and I sitting in a room across from each other, looking at ourselves in the eyes, we can tell when one's about to say something or you can tell there's just a lot more than just the actual words. So what I learned is I have to go into situations with a mindset of, look, this client knows their company, their product, their customer better than anybody else. I might and my team might know this technological domain over here. That doesn't mean this client doesn't know anything, not at all. If I go in there thinking that I'm the smartest guy in the room. You know what's going to happen? My posture, my words, my tone, all of that stuff is going to convey that, that Trace is the smartest guy in the room. And what's that going to do to the client? It's going to be off-putting, okay? They're, they didn't get there by being idiots, right? They're smart people, okay? They just have a problem that they haven't solved yet. So when I have to, I have to shift my mindset, I made that mistake. I, I've made it more than once, let's be honest. Like, People have called me, pulled me aside afterwards, like, hey, man, remember when you said that or you kind of cut the client off? Like, you know, and then I was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. Here I was thinking that, like, we already saw the problem before we even listened to what the problem was. Like, oh, yeah, yeah we already know what the problem is. And the client's like, no. And so what I miss, what I miss in those occasions is a, a, a place where in consulting, you probably have seen 70 to 90 percent of the problems and they have roughly the same answer. You know, it's not the same song. It probably rhymes pretty well. OK. But if you go in there with the mindset, again, a knower's mindset versus a learner's mindset, not only is it off-putting, you are sacrificing the opportunity to create a relationship with that client that you could create by being a very good learner and listener and listening for that little 5% area of where that client really is different. So 
now I learn when I go in, I try and find it's a, a trigger for myself. When I find myself, ah, yeah, I know the answer. I say, okay, stop, go listen for that extra five to 10%. So you really find out where there's, where their problem is. Cause not only will the answer be much better defined, but you have, the client has been heard and you've built a degree of trust. It's interesting. The, the way that you even answered that question, um, you can feel the pain of not having that perspective and going in and trying to solve problems does. You end up painfully having to undo some situations sometimes that quite frankly, you, you end up caused. You, that, you cost yeah, that I caused myself. You're, no, you're hundred percent right, man. It's almost like you've been in the room sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's been plenty of opportunity for me to screw up along the way. And I, I'm thankful for, uh, for you taking the time to explain one, uh, the psyche of a person who would want to go and serve our country, right? And there's a, there's this, disingenuous way of describing service that a lot of folks are kind of capitalizing on, in my opinion, whenever they talk about service, right? They think that, uh, I call it operating off of borrowed credibility in a way, right? Where they understand that as an admin in the Marine Corps, somebody else who lacks perspective may think that that admin in the Marine Corps is like a force recon Marine going out and jumping out of helicopters. Oh, by borrowed credibility, you mean yeah. it's not something they earned on their own merits, but by this, this idea of a Marine 100%. capitalizing on that. Yeah, totally. 100%. And so there's there's this this perspective of service that you know, people think as if they're they're doing a service to the greater good of people if they're, you know, grabbing a cause of social justice and and trying to equate things now in 2020. There's a lot of perspectives with information where people are trying to uh, to make that happen, where I think that sometimes folks lack is truly service without an intent. And I, I remember a long time ago, well, a long time ago, a couple of years ago, you had said something to me about having 60% of the information, but being confident going into uh, the unknown. So yeah. 61% of it is what you what you need in order to feel confident. No, I'm going to have less. I'm going to go ahead and move forward with things. That's exactly and, right. And if I'm going to serve here, I'm going to, I want to serve from the perspective of not having strings attached. I want to, I want to go and, and so good out there, right. even if folks around you have made less quality decisions, made poor decisions. Uh, or with the wrong intent. Or, yeah, or had the wrong intent. And so I'm, I'm excited to have a friend that wants to go be one of the 700 folks or so that exist here in the United States to make decisions that will be hopefully influence a better future for my kids. Right. I, I, think, hope that, so. I think that that's it, however this turns out. The reality is, is more folks that are like that, that have that makeup need to be in those positions, if you ask me. Hey, and it, for our kids, it may be too late to avoid making them pay the bills that we're racking up now. For, yeah. for our kids and, and our older ones, the 17, 19 year old, but it might not be too late for our 20 month old twins. So if we can make a difference today, take that. Why are we writing checks today? And they got to pay, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my whole intent in going up there and you, you hit on it. Like I want to serve, you know, by the way, if I don't win, my identity is not wrapped up in this. I've got a pretty awesome life. Like I got a, a great wife, a great family. I mean, Y'all are great friends. We live in an awesome town. I have an amazing job. Like life is really good, but you know what? I'm willing to set that stuff aside because I know that our district deserves this kind of leadership and I'm not seeing it. And so until I see it, I'm like, well, if no one's leading, there's a firefight. I'm going to step up and run to the fire. Like my duty demands it. And my training as a Marine commands that I go towards the fight, right? Like this is what we do. So, and until a smarter, more equipped, faster running lieutenant 
comes and runs around old Sergeant Johansson and says, okay, I've got the lead there, Sergeant, fall in. Good to go, sir. But guess what? I don't see that guy anywhere. Right. So, I, so I'm it. Okay. And now we're running. So here and we go. You've been asked. And, and you've been asked. Yeah. It's not as, and again, it's not like I'm trying to be a hero. Not believe me, not at all. Like when they asked me to, hey, you should go step up and do this thing. Obviously, like I mentioned, my initial response was like, that's, that ain't me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But hey, that's, that is what it is. Well, I, I hate that name is or it's that phrase, but I say it constantly. It also isn't what it isn't, which is equally as true. That is true. And almost as <laughs> almost as <absolute. laughs> yeah. So the the I think leave these folks with uh, with this. So, you know, the premise of, of today was to talk about how you can learn from your mistakes. It took you a few times to go through school. Doesn't mean that you stopped, right? And uh, just because you ran into some resistance in the Marine Corps doesn't necessarily mean that you stopped serving. Right. And just because you ran into some resistance with people who don't think the way that you do when it comes to running for city council, you still were able to help, you know, move uh, this city and this county forward, you know, with your leadership. And so how can folks support you? Where do they need to go? Is it on social media? Do they need to share this particular episode with somebody who thinks like them? Help people understand. You know, the obvious answer is share knucklehead podcast. Let's just start with that. Okay. Okay. And typically when people ask me what they can do to help, my knee-jerk reaction is like, I don't need anything. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I say, go do other stuff. So people are like, how can we support you? I'm like, no, go go serve and give selflessly. That's what you need to do. When guys are getting out of the military, guys and gals, excuse me, getting out of the military, like, I don't know what to do next. I'm like, start serving, figure it out. Go get involved and go give of yourselves. As far as what I'm doing, um, the best way to find me is trace for the number four texas.com and you can find my facebook from there and the instagram and the twitter and and the youtube channel and all those things and we'll, we'll put everything out there um i hope that you'll you'll follow me and just and just watch to see what i do my last name is spelled johannesson j-o-h-a-n-n-e-s-e-n like a phone number uh one of those long norwegian names but uh, i'm not that hard to find so if you want to follow and just see what what we do next and tell your friends that there's somebody running for Congress in Northeast Texas who's who's in it for the right reasons, like with a servant's heart, actually lives in the district, you know, of the people. Yeah, I, I actually live here and I've got a pretty solid track record of setting aside my personal agenda when when called upon to serve. So just follow me and, and watch and see what we do. And we are going to keep taking steps forward and trying to listen for the signs. And I'm sure that God will tell me when it's time to either throw in the towel and refocus on family or to back a better horse. Well, you, you heard it here. You heard it here from Trace. Trace for Texas. Trace, Trace number four. Number four, as in Congressional Texas. District 4, Texas. Trace for Texas.com. Trace for Texas.com. And we also talked about a couple of things. We also talked about you know, some books that have been influential. Uh, Tribe was one of them that just came to mind as I'm looking at it over here. But, you know, going through the decision-making process when people are deciding either listen to this or share it with somebody else, you talked about a couple of social media channels that they can tap into. What do you like to educate yourself on? I mean, do do you read or do you just have conversations with folks? Uh, Yeah, I read when I can't, you know, having the the babies has has probably minimized a little bit of my reading. And, you know, my buddy Devin introduced me to Audible like in 2012, and that was life changing for me because I would drive to work and I could listen to books or when I'm out running, I can listen to books. All these business books I always wanted to read, but I was having a hard time prioritizing that time. 
I could do. Well, now that we're kind of, hopefully by the time this podcast is out, we're past most of the, the lockdown and here in Texas, thankfully, we err on the side of freedom, thank God, because we're trying to balance freedom and public health and e- economy. But my, my commute time has been dropped down to zero, so I haven't done as much. But yeah, I do love reading books. I have a tremendous amount of books that I've, I've listened to. I'm on my LinkedIn page, I started a long time ago a list of, of all the books. In fact, I just bought um, Dan Crenshaw's book, Fortitude. And uh, I'm excited to read that because I know from some of the talks he's made, he references a book by, um, I'm going to butcher his last name, Greg Lacufani and Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, and it's called The Coddling of the American Mind, which I heard about, I don't know, two years ago. And it was I, I love that book because it absolutely speaks to a lot of the challenges we're having today. And it talks about the, the, the strange culture that's been created wherein words are perceived as harmful and i'm like well i'm not having to put a tourniquet on someone who's bleeding out their femoral artery that's harm right that's actual injury but because some of these words may have hurt your feeling because you you took what they said with the absolute most negative intent so so the book is a lot about that but yes i I just i just downloaded that uh, and i'm reading that i haven't read for pleasure in a while, which, which should be an indicator to me if I'm stepping outside looking at Johannes and I'm like, you know, you probably need to reprioritize some things so you can actually take that time to read for pleasure. And if I was going to read a book right now, it would be my favorite book ever, which is Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. Um, I've read it a couple of times. I've seen the miniseries a bunch of times, um, but I would probably start rereading that because it's, it's a phenomenal book. There are so many amazing and complex lessons wrapped up in what looks like frontier jargon that are just, uh, just fantastic. I mean, the Canary in the coal mine, the whole thought process. There's, there's a bunch of, well, history can help explain some of those, what'd you call them? Prairie language. What'd you say? Yeah. Frontier, frontier Frontier language. Yeah. yeah, Frontier language. There's, there's, there's a tremendous amount of wisdom for, uh, and simplicity, uh, in the way that they communicate too, which I think is the most effective form of communication is just taking a complex idea and distilling it down to something simple, real clear and simple. So I appreciate you, man. Um, so traceforTexas.com is how people can get in touch with you. Uh, there's a, a few, um, a few other channels that they can go, uh, find folks on. But I mean, really with that, if you like listening to Knucklehead podcast, we've got new episodes coming at you every Tuesday. My suggestion is, is on Trace's website, go and let him know that you listen to his message here on Knucklehead. Also let him know what you think about some of the things that he's doing. I encourage you to give him some feedback. He he would probably Absolutely. encourage it there too. If there's something you heard that you think that I should think about differently, I'd love to hear it. If there's something that I should be considering that I'm not, I mean, let me know. I'm, I'm again, I'm a sponge. I'm here to listen. So I, and you know, true friends stab you in the front, you know what I'm saying? So like tell it to me straight and I'll be like, ah, oh, that's, it gets me in the gut. Thank you for that. You yeah. know, a hundred percent. Well, we don't, we don't pretend to be perfect. And that's, that's the whole thought process of, of knucklehead is rather than, you know, let your accomplishment speak in for itself. You, you, what you want to do is you want to allow your willingness to go out and learn and work and listen and then apply what you've learned and what you didn't know before uh, to go out and be better. So uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Anything else that you want to leave these folks with? That's it. Just trace for texas.com and share the knucklehead podcast. What Stephen's doing is great. I love the idea of embracing your mistakes and really learning from it and helping other people learn from it. I love that concept. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. We appreciate you guys, Trace. We're out of here, man. That's a wrap. Adios.